All right, I'm here with Dr. Jeffrey Young, and uh, of course he's going to be the Young Earth guy, because your last name is Young, right? How appropriate. Yes, you have to be that guy. Um, so as you know, we're doing a little series on uh, God's creation. So we did Old Earth last week, we're doing Young Earth this week, and then next week Jackson Greer is going to give us a church history lesson on what did the early church, what did our church fathers all think about creation, um, the age of it, and also what it meant, material, immaterial, all those kind of things. That's going to be next week, so definitely tune in. So, Jeffrey, I just went to Google, okay, and I asked a question, how old is the earth? And so I actually have the answer, okay? And so the earth is thought to be about, so there's some gray area, you know? So Google's not like this is hard fact. It says 4.54 billion years old. So that's that's Google. So that's uh so we'll start there. Obviously I would say you are going to disagree with that. <laughs> um so uh do you believe the earth is 4.45 billion years old? Uh the short answer is no. <laughs> um I I I'm sorry. I have to disagree with the wisdom of the consensus of the day that okay. Google's going to display. Yeah, I like that. And that's why we want you on here. So last week we got, um, you know, Jimmy Slack. Hey, he, he believes that's that's a reasonable um, dating of the earth. Now, we don't have the earth's birthday. I looked in Genesis 1. There's not a birthday. There's not a date. Uh, so we are looking at the Hebrew scriptures written some, you know, 3,500 years ago, probably by Moses. And, you know, he's not writing in the same backdrop that we have. You know, he doesn't have evolutionary, um, you know, biology. He doesn't have carbon dating. And so we're probably asking different questions than his original audience would have asked. Um, But it is our time and we are curious. And as we've tried to say, hey, this is not a first tier issue. Uh, This is something that we can all disagree about. And what I do want to remind us, we don't We don't say, well, old earth people don't believe the Bible. Um, I think Jimmy Slack really believes the Bible, and I think his points come from the scriptures. What we have is different interpretations of the Bible, of the scriptures. So I'm going to say, hey, Jeffrey, I think you believe the Bible. I think Jimmy believes the Bible. Both of you are looking at the Bible and perhaps the world and having a different interpretation of those things. So what we're going to get into today is your interpretation of uh, Genesis 1, how Jesus views creation, um, how you believe science uh, points to a young earth versus old earth. So I'd love for you to start out and just give us your case for why you believe the world is. Maybe tell us first how old you think the earth is and then give us a case for why you think that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Well, I mean, obviously my, my first caveat is I am far from an expert on this. Um, I thought you were a doctor. Well, that means different things to different people. (laughs) But yes, uh, I I am an economist. I'm not a geologist. I'm not a physicist. I did love physics. I loved it so much I took it twice in college. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Take that for whatever you think. (laughs) Um, But no, this is a a curiosity uh, of mine, certainly. Yeah. I would estimate... um, thing is, I actually did the math back in high school. Um, I was homeschooled, and part of my curriculum was Bible study. Yeah. And just as an exercise, um, I don't know that I did this for extra credit or anything, but uh, I added up 
the ages of this person when he was born, who he fathered, how old he father was when he fathered him, and you know, so on and so forth, and actually drew out a okay. timeline. And that's from the genealogies, from the genealogies in Genesis. In Genesis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then trying to make that uh, or reconcile that with you know anything else we're given throughout the Old Testament or anything like that. Uh, so kind of sketched a timeline uh, like people do with the Star Wars timeline or the Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline. Yeah. And I don't remember the exact number. Uh, that paper is probably decomposed into <laughs> something else in a landfill by now. Uh, but I arrived somewhere between 6,000 and 6,100 years, which okay. is certainly in the ballpark of what most young Earthers uh would estimate okay and so that is taking a literal uh six day creation a year really means a year okay. a day means a day okay etc adding that up you will get six thousand and some odd years roughly okay um, or at least four thousand and something up to the point of christ and then tacking on another two thousand plus years on there yeah um there's room for error of okay. course um, okay. I'm not a theologian. Yes. Uh, but I love my Bible. I love... Uh, hey, this is the Love Your Bible podcast, and, so that's good. And, and I that, like that you love your Bible. <laughs> well, hell, uh, the podcast has helped with that, actually. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. And I will say that's another caveat. Is, yeah, sure, I'm not an expert, but also... If I fumble this so badly that I scare young Earthers into being old Earthers by the end of this, <laughs> but it drives them to read their Bible... Praise God. Yeah. That is mission accomplished. Amen. I am not trying to win people over to me. I am trying to win people over to him. Absolutely. That's the goal here. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. So so you've went through the history of man, and I would say probably young earth, old earth would, wouldn't have probably a lot of disagreement on how old the history of man is. They would probably have a lot of disagreement on what is the history before man. And so, you know, you brought up this idea of reading a day as a day and a year as a year. Mm -hmm. So that is, from what I see, a lot of disagreement over that word day in the scriptures. Oh, yes. Um, So I'd love for you to give your case for why you see Genesis 1 as, you know, as six 24-hour days rather than perhaps a season of time or a period of time. So I'd love for you to just walk us through um, your understanding of that. Well, I've seen different arguments uh, supporting that. Like I say, I'm not an expert, so I haven't read every book and listened to every seminar uh, disseminating people's extensive knowledge as to how to translate that Hebrew word yom, right? Yeah. Um, In some instances, yeah, it does mean uh, longer than a 24-hour period, you know, the days of Elijah, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, back in the day of King David, etc. Those uses of the word yom are prefaced with nouns or adjectives, you know, the day of King David, Mm -hmm. right? It's talking about the day and age, the life and times of a person, Mm -hmm. The issue um, with my very limited study and with other people's extensive study that hold my view of a younger, younger Earth, it's older than I am, but younger relative to (laughs) other arguments, um, is that when that word is preceded uh, or, or conjoined with a number, the first day or day one or three days, Mm -hmm. et cetera, there are no instances of it meaning something other 
okay. than an actual day. And that's certainly what we see in Genesis 1. Yeah. The first day, morning and evening, mm-hmm. viewing, you know, sunrise to sunset, this is that day. Okay. Um, and it's preceded by a number. Yeah. Um, an ordinal number in that case, first day, second day, et cetera. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good and, – and you'd probably say if you're just picking up Genesis and reading through it, that's going to probably be your takeaway, right? You would probably read through and be like, oh, well, these are – if you knew nothing about science or other arguments, oh, this seems like these are just days. Would that be correct? Yeah, taking Scripture at face value, you read that and say, all right, well, if I trust the translators who have you know, done their work for the past several centuries, putting it into words that I can understand, then what I read tells me that you know, these are days. Obviously, um, there's context. Context is very important. And I do want to point out um, is that there's a decision to be made, regardless of which side you fall on during this this episode or in general with with how you interpret the, the creation narrative. There's a decision to be made of how much you will allow yourself to believe about what it says. And I don't mean, you know, people on the other side of the argument don't believe what the Bible says, but as far as what you are limiting the words to mean okay. in terms of, all right, how much are you going to read into it? Or are you working with a presupposition that it must mean something else yeah. because a bunch of people at some university who don't believe the Bible anyway say that it cannot be that that young it cannot be that short of a time period um but there's more to dig into there anyway with yeah that. so yeah just, no, just that as makes an sense. aside is there's a there's a decision to be made of well at some point or another you're going to have to believe where is that line for you where's the line but yeah um, no i think that's good and i feel like with you know as a seminary student who has taken both hebrew and greek um one of the things through both of those language studies, uh, first of all, you realize you have to dedicate your life to one of these languages to really master them yeah, and to absolutely. really know them. And so what I took away with both of those classes is, wow, our Bible translators are really smart and they've, they've given their lives to this and the words they use in English they're probably the best words available to us. So Better than I could do. For sure. And so whenever, and, uh, and this is a temptation of preaching, you find a, a verse and then you look up a word study on this particular word and you're like, oh, actually it's cooler if it says this. And it's like, oh, I, I could do a lot of gymnastics to tell people why this verse, this word actually means. And it's like, well, more than likely it means what the person, what the committee <laughs> who researched this that knows the language, they chose this word over that word because all all words have a range of meaning. Absolutely. And just because Especially they English. have a range of meaning doesn't mean there's another word in that range that better fits with the actual verse itself. So I do know that in just Bible, you know, so those of you who love your Bible, um, when you look up a Greek word or Hebrew word and you're like, oh, well, this is a cool translation. Well, there's probably reason the writer's chose the specific word in English because it better fits with the context, the syntax, history, all of the the literature that they know. That's why they chose that word. So I do think there's a case to be made of 
our English Bibles have day rather than season because it's probably the most logical reading that Moses' audience would have thought day rather than season. So yes. I think you could argue that point. Um, but I do think, to my old earth people, um, there is wiggle room. So if you read that as season or, or period of time, um, there's definitely room for that view too. So it's not that one is right, one's a heretic. It's There's different interpretation of these words, different interpretation of what's going on. And so that's why we're having both these episodes. Like one says a season, one says a day. But Jeffrey, in your in your position, um, you see this as as twenty four hour days. Would that be right? In the, I do, but I also agree that there could be wiggle room um, with interpretation. I just have not been sufficiently persuaded yet. Yeah, to accept the wiggle room and yeah. abandon my default because yeah. the twenty four hour day is the default position. That's the base case. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so. And, and so tell me about the morning and evening. How do you see that as um, helping the case for these are days, not seasons? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how uh, days would have been observed by Moses' audience. Mm-hmm. It, the new day would begin at sundown, yes. which is why, you know, to observe the Sabbath, you'd have to have all your work done before the sun goes down. Yes. Uh, ditto for... Um, uh, after Jesus died on the cross, they had to have his body taken down and put into the tomb yes. and prepared before the sun went down because of uh, observing Sabbath. So to that audience, um, evening would mark the beginning of the next day. And morning is, you know, when you get up, the sun is rising, it's time to go to work, assuming it's not the Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay, yeah. Got to throw that in there. Yeah. Um, and so that seems to describe a day in the sense that Moses' audience would have understood a day to be. Morning and evening was such and such a day. Evening begins the next day. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So I would love to know, um, w- what about the sun? This has been a curiosity of mine. Um so I would just love to get your take on a, like w- when is the sun created is my first question. And then how does the sun fit into these 24 hour days? Does that make sense? So let's start with when, yes. when do you think the sun was created by God? Well, the word sun is not necessarily used in this narrative. True. Yeah. It says, you know, the greater light rules the day, the lesser light rules the night. But it also says, like, at the very beginning, uh, which, but this is a complete rabbit trail. Maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we won't. God also created time. Yeah. At the beginning. Okay. He's he's not bound by something he made. Okay. But at time equals zero, God separated the light from the darkness. Okay. Right. The darkness he called night, the light he called day. Yes. Maybe that's the sun. But then again, you have Revelation 21, 22, mm-hmm. that says, you know, that there's no need for the sun in the new heaven and in the new earth. Yeah. God's glory is light. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. light. You don't yeah. need the sun if you've got God's glory. That is a better light. It's a purer yeah. Yeah. light. And John 1, Jesus is the light of the world. He's, he's yes. the light of men. Yes, so you right. have that the kind of, of connection, which goes right back to Genesis 1, uh-huh. where in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then right in that, he's, he's light. That's and right. So, That's exactly right. So 
is that talking about the sun or is it saying, well, if God was there in the beginning, God's glory is light. Okay, well, Jesus, the light, uh, was there too, um, we're, we're told. I don't know, in short. Okay. Um, and I'm going to try and keep the I don't knows to a minimum in yeah. here. But yeah. one thing about me is I am not afraid to say I don't know. Absolutely. I would rather that than improvise a very bad <laughs> answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it could be on day one. It could be later on uh, when it mentions, uh, is it day three or four? When it says the greater day light, four, day four yeah. mm-hmm. uh, ruled the day and the lesser light yeah. uh, ruled the night. Yeah. Um, so I think if you have, I guess, I guess my thought would be if there is no sun or moon or, or they're not as signs and seasons quite yet, mm-hmm. how the people perceive them you know it seems to me our lunar day you know is the sun obviously uh uh we have you know sunset sunrise those things which you know the sun's not going around us we're going around the sun but that would be a time marker of 24-hour days so if day one day two and day three we're not really aware of the sun or the moon yet um then there there wouldn't be necessarily a time stamp for those days would that be correct? Is, is is that a, I guess one argument that I would say maybe, um, okay, these aren't literal days because there's not a sun and a moon revolving yet until day four. So I'm just curious on what you would have thoughts on that, on how do you get morning and evening if there's not sun yet or moon yet? Well, and, and that's, a, that's a very good question, uh, actually. And I ha- I've given that some thought, yeah. uh, not saying I have the answer, but basically where I've arrived at this point, is um, if there's no sun or moon, what's the point in having day and night? And mm-hmm. also, if there was no sun and the light came from God's presence, then darkness would mean the light is gone and mm. God's presence was taken away. Mm-hmm. What's the point of that? Pretty strange. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bit odd. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess, yeah, there could be a case for that of, well, yeah, then the sun was there. Okay. Um, yeah, and so I know, and I was talking to Jimmy last week, which I know you said, just to let everybody know, uh, Jeffrey has not listened to that episode yet. He wanted to not have any information before this one. Um, so this well, might I, d- be... I didn't want to turn this into a, a counter-argument. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's boring. That would make this episode so boring yes. is if I just took notes on that and spent my whole time no doubt. trying to refute <laughs> each of those. No one's going to listen to that. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to queue it up on my phone as I drive back to town absolutely. after this. I yeah. have been waiting to listen to it. <laughs> and Jackson's episode next week, too. Yeah, so. I'm really, yeah, that's going to be so fun and fascinating um so yeah so jimmy would believe that in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth that's everything that is and was was created in that sort of massive and then the second verse now he's like forming he's molding he's shaping all that he's made and that would include like so the sun and moon would be before day one so the sun and moon are already in existence which i think to me fits really well with young earth because if the sun and moon are there before day one then day one would have morning evening you know and i've told jimmy hey i think that's kind of a you know one point against old earth uh he would see that differently um but would you if the sun is created before day one do you think that fits pretty well with 24 hour days morning and evening the sun is actually rising and setting well and not just the sun and the moon but the earth 
mm. as well because mm. that, that that thing's got to rotate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So and there would be, um, so yeah. So walk us through. Um, I mean, it would seem so in your mind. The okay day one. Then you have day two. Now you have like vegetation. You have, um, or maybe that's day three. Day two, um, you have um, day day three. There's vegetation. There's plants. There's all the things. Day two, there's like this. The really the atmosphere is created. So what I think old Earth would say is these were. We can look back at in science and see these were very long, uh, you know, occurrences. As we look sort of like natural science, hey, these are very old events that have taken a long period of time. And so what's your argument for, well, hey, actually, these don't have to be long periods of time in how God. So just kind of walk us through maybe the the five or six days of creation and, and give us a case for why these don't have to be millions of years. Does that make sense? I think so. Um and if I end up answering a completely different question, then let me know. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, basically, I don't see why, number one, uh, a god, a supernatural god, enacting a supernatural creation would have to rely on any natural means, okay. as we understand them, uh, long passages of time, uh uh, the sediment layers, uh, rock formations that, you know, supposedly take uh, however long uh, for that to happen or for the atmosphere to reach its balance and for there to be oxygen and moisture and all that, all that stuff uh, that the vegetation needs, right? Vegetation needs moisture and it needs light. Okay. It has to photosynthesize, Yeah. right? Um so, yeah, it needs air, and it needs moisture, and it needs sunlight. Um, if there wasn't any of that for a very, very long period of time, the plants would be in trouble, mm-hmm. I would guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a farmer, yeah. uh, so I, I understand a little bit of agronomy, but I'm also not a very good farmer, so I don't understand very much agronomy. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a reason I'm a professor, not a farmer. Um uh, but anyway, so I, I think that's that's two arguments is uh, that stuff doesn't need to take a very long time. Uh, we understand, you know, with the current state of scientific consensus that uh, people accept that it takes a long time, a long time for these processes to work. Um, but that's natural. God is making the earth super naturally. We're also observing a lot of things changing uh as they already exist nothing existed back then Mm. like god god pulled all this stuff out of literally nothing yeah he brought it into being matter does not get created or destroyed it simply changes forms Hmm. god created matter yeah like he he brought it into existence out of nothing he didn't form it from something else yeah and so uh and point number three god made time so he's not constrained by time. I mean, he invented it. So in that sense, I know that's kind of a deflection, but still, uh, it doesn't surprise me that something like that on date, was it day three you were saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Day two and day three, I guess, uh, that an all powerful God could do that. Not according to our schedule that our finite minds try to comprehend. Yeah. 
Yeah, this like would that. not be the first time that God has surprised us by doing the impossible. Okay. And yeah. It's Could not you give the last us either? Yeah. So you're referring to like miracles in the Bible that we see. Well, yeah. God doing things that aren't normal means. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So if I'm watching the movie of creation, this just kind of, I'm trying to put in my brain. Um, I'm just imagining like if I'm watching the old earth movie, it's, you know, obviously things are happening. It's a long movie. Very slow. <laughs> it's like the Titanic. It's like, when's this going to end? Um, or you have the Young Earth version. It's almost like when you watch a movie and it's like everything is like sped up super fast. So you see this. Um, I'm just envisioning like just complete dirt field. And then all of a sudden there's just like everything's growing super fast. And now you have these giant trees and giant vegetation. Um, obviously that's not how stuff grows now, right? Like you don't, we're both farmers. You plant a seed in the ground, you, you visit it weeks later and it's just barely popped up. You visit it weeks later and it's just, I mean, it's a whole season of growing that things get to where they need to be. So that's the natural way things grow. Right. And so would you envision, for instance, day three, it's more of that, that supernatural, like the world is just bursting forth of vegetation is growing like it's never grown before because almost God as like, you know, a composer of a symphony is, you know, just composing the creation and it's bursting forth in all of its glory and splendor. And when we go back and look at that, well, there's, there's no way we can really explain how that, how that happened because it was God <laughs> who did something very different. Is that where your mind kind of goes in these days? Uh, lar- largely, yes. Um, is that if he, if he's causing all these th- supernatural, if he's supernaturally causing things that were not all of a sudden to be, um, I don't know. I, I almost picture if everything comes into existence that rapidly, it would almost make a big bang noise um <laughs> frank i don't know what noise it made yeah. but i could envision it making a very loud <laughs> yeah. sound yes um but yeah no that that's uh that's a good description of it uh it says that you know god commanded the earth to bring forth vegetation interestingly enough the earth listened and obeyed immediately mm. it didn't uh push back it didn't say well now hold on yeah hold, hold on a second that that I've never done that before. God, <laughs> are you going to walk with me through this? Are you going to meet me on the other side? Mm. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it didn't protest one bit. It immediately obeyed what it was commanded to do, and it brought forth the vegetation. Yeah. Now, I will grant you it doesn't say how long it took to bring forth the vegetation. Yeah. But it did. Yeah. Yeah, and you take that as more of a boom. It's it's happening quickly and in the time span of, of a day as – as what would seem to be clearly just reading in scripture. Yeah. I would. Yeah, that's good. Um, so in that uh, theologians will say the six days seem to be a long day. Um, and I think that's one, one strong case for old earth. It's, Hey, there's a lot going on on day six. Adam does a whole lot. God does a whole lot. This seems to be a very, a very long 24 hour, you know, it's a, this, this one took a while. So I'd love to hear your, explanation of you know how all that happened on the sixth day could very well have been a normal you know sunset sunrise kind of a day absolutely absolutely and this is the one uh 
I'll tell you what, I've gotten a lot of texts over the last week. Uh, this is the one that people talk about the most. Okay, great. It's not the, you know, God stretched out the universe on day two, you know, the, the heavens and all, you know, no one's brought that up. It's day six. Okay. And maybe that's because there's so much going on in day six that it's the most uh, marvelous, mm-hmm. um, the, the mar- most mar- the largest number of marvelous things done by a marvelous creator. Yeah. Um, and it is indeed marvelous. And so what I would say, uh, as far as, you know, how I'll, I'll take one example from day six. Okay. Yes. A lot happened, but Adam naming the animals. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's a whole lot of animals out there. Come on. Yeah. How, how's he going to get that done in a, yeah. in a day and have time left over for, you know, to take a nap and for God to create woman. And, you yeah. know, I mean, I can't even visit all the animals in a zoo in a day. <laughs> a lot's going on here. Well, Three counterpoints yeah, uh, to that, very brief, is number one, um, it doesn't say, I, I don't read it as saying every single animal on the earth. Okay. It says that, you know, God brought the animals, in fact, it, it, depending on the translation, it might even say the animals there around the garden to him. Okay. And so that reduces the number. Okay. Uh, and you're getting this from not Genesis 1, but Genesis 2. Would that be right? Where Genesis we're getting 2, where it's more details. Here's what happened on day 6. Yeah. So just in case you're wondering, because I do get this question often. It's like somebody asked me this just a few days ago. Like, wow, Genesis 2 seems like a new creation. Like what? There's like now, now Adam's being formed from the dust, and he's being breathed into, and now there's like a rib and a woman. And I thought man and woman were created on day 6. What is this? And if you are curious about that, um, that's, yes, Genesis 1 is the overview of creation. Like, he's given us the summary, and so when you see Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that's the summary of God making man in his image for his glory, male and female. Genesis 2, now we're getting really the garden scene where God is zooming in. He's giving us details on, okay, a lot happened on day 6 that there's, he actually created man from the dust, breathe into his nostrils breath of life. He made woman from the man. He, he had Adam name all the animals. So when you're reading chapter two, you're reading about what happened on day six. And so well that's, where, that's where Jeffrey's kind of going to. So yeah, give us some more details about uh, naming the animals. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you uh, put that in there for sure. And as a, as a brief aside, before I get back to the naming the animals, I read this part of Genesis almost like my favorite gospel, and that's the gospel according to Mark. Okay. Um, and I didn't know how to read the gospel of Mark uh, quite the way I do now uh, until your dad taught it a few years ago when we were going through it as a sermon series. And uh, he has his phrase, a Mark and sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark will start a story and go a few verses in, hit pause, yeah. tell another story, and finish it, and then hit play on the first story, and then go through. Yeah. Genesis 1 is the overarching narrative, the summary, the mm-hmm. abstract yeah. to the creation narrative. And then uh, there's almost a pause, mm-hmm. almost, not necessarily a hard stop. Yeah. But then chapter 2, it goes into day 6. Well, what happened on day 6? Where did man come from, etc.? Yeah. How did animals get their names? So I thought that was kind of an interesting parallel uh, when I was rereading Genesis 1 and 2 over the past few weeks. Uh, Okay, so back to the animals. So, uh, number one, the animals in that area 
God brought to Adam uh, to see what he would call them, and that's what it was named. And uh, on the same note, I almost read this the way we would read later on in Genesis with the account of Noah and the flood and the ark. And I know that's coming eventually, but um, it doesn't say God brought to of every animal, a male and female of every single animal in existence. It was of every kind okay. of animal. Well, that reduces the number that he has to name even further. So the list is getting shorter and shorter. Uh, there is a second point. So it's a reduced number. You talked about there's not not necessarily every animal on the whole planet. Right. But this would be more of the garden scene. Would that be right? Yeah, on yeah this is the garden scene. The sure. ones that are being named... Actually, I had three. Oh, well. No. Well, you got time. People are probably like riding their bike or doing laundry or <laughs> driving. So. No, it's all good. If you're listening, Jeffrey is, uh, yeah, uh, fumbling through his notes to try to figure out uh, the, we, we want it all. We'd like, we'd like everything. So I actually had this written down, but I thought, well, that's all right. Yeah. Anyway. So let's say there's two points. Okay, two points. I like that. <laughs> so number one, uh, the list isn't quite as long okay. as, as we would think of. Or I think there's a case to be made. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. I'm not speaking authoritatively, just the way I read it, the way I understand it. The list of animals that he named is not uh, quite as long as we would make it to be. Just remember the second point. Okay. Uh, it says that this is the task given to Adam, right? To, to see what he would call the animals and whatever he called them, that's what its name was. It doesn't say he finished the task necessarily okay. on that day. Uh, that was pointed out to me on Sunday in yet another one of the conversations <laughs> about yeah. this. Was I mean, he began it, sure. doesn't say he finished it on the same day. Okay, um, so you're saying he didn't, like, God didn't say, and you have till sundown. You have till sundown to name every single animal that I bring to you. Gotcha. Right. So it, okay. it could have continued on. Yeah. Just possibly. like um, rule and keep the garden, till, cultivate. Sure. All those are tasks, but they're ongoing. They continue. And so that could have been very much, he's doing this, he's starting the task, he's but he's not necessarily, task. this could be a... His whole nine hundred and you know thirty years or whatever. Well, sure. He's still naming animals even to his death. Like, hey, there's oh, I haven't seen this one before. This one's going to be called this. Well, precisely because unless the Garden of Eden was next to the ocean, how could he have you know seen sharks and whales and dolphins and so forth? Unless they were in the garden, I don't think they would have been. But, yeah, you know, I mean there are, there are some rivers, so I guess there's those rivers. would be interesting <laughs> rivers. Uh, great white shark. Okay, yeah, right there, right swimming <laughs> up by Eden by the front gate. Anyway, uh, so that's point number two. And then point number three um, is that Adam probably had a lot of free time on his hands because Eve had not yet been created and he had nothing better to do. Yeah. So. Very true. Yeah. I like that. So then, so talk to me about on the sixth day, he didn't just name the animals. We also have the creation of woman. Yes. On, and would you believe that's on the sixth day? Like I believe that, so. That 24 hours. So tell me a little bit about, some would say, well, that had to take a little bit. What would you counter with? He's he's naming the animals. We have basically surgery, putting to sleep, waking up. And then I think even that that thought of, I've heard for the older Kate is like, um, Adam says, at last, this is bone. So it seems like that's a, 
Man, yeah. I've been wondering around for a long, long time, and at last, this is the one who's like me. So, how, how, in your mind, how could he also arrive at that at last moment if it's only been, say, six hours or twelve hours? Excellent question, and I, I have thought about that, and I will, I will throw a word of caution uh, with this interpretation, but um, we know from. Well, from among others, but first on my mind is, is from Einstein. We know that time is relative. Mm. And so if Adam has only existed for a few hours, then that probably feels like a mighty long time because mm. he hasn't lived through very many hours. Mm. And so that probably felt like a very long day. Mm. I think of kids, you know, it feels like. I was about to bring up my kids. When is Christmas coming? Yeah. This is the longest year ever. My uh-huh. goodness. Yeah. I am waiting forever till you know, I get Christmas presents. Then when you get to be our age and even older, it's like, oh, it's, it's Christmas again. Yeah. It was just, I just put the tree up in the attic. Yes. I got to get it back down again. Yeah, it's that very good flies point. by. The older you get, the more years you live, the less significant on a percentage basis yeah. they are to your mind and to your senses. And so if Adam's only been around for a few hours – there's almost that childlike appreciation of time. Mm. Yeah, I like that. That reminds me of, yeah, my uh, little girl who <laughs> it was. Um, Mimish was coming to get her in an hour, and uh, probably a long <laughs> she hour. She asked me fifteen times <laughs> that day, "When's when's an hour? Has the hour? When?" She, you know, it's like to her the hour was literally you know a week. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like yeah. Babe, it's been 10 minutes. Uh, it's not an hour yet. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. So I could see where Adam, the at last, would be, hey, to his relative short existence, um, man, things are going to uh, – so, so I'd love to – now what I'd love to get into is, um, you know, some of the science that seems to be just, you know, outlandishly pointing towards an old earth. And so – um, as best as you can, I would love to hear you push back a little bit on, well, I don't. So um, I'm thinking for one, uh, just when I go to every, I love national parks. Like it's one of my obsessions. I, I want to go to every single one of them. Just love national parks. I love seeing God's creation, God's beauty. Almost every national park that I go to, they will give me a case for why this part of the world is billions of years old and here's how the Grand Canyon formed and here's all the layers of the Grand Canyon and this is why it's so-and-so old. And so it seems to be the Grand Tetons, the Smoky Mountains, all these different ranges, all these different things, they're all telling me this is why we believe the world is this old. So I would love for you to maybe just counter on when we dig in the soil and it seems like the world is really old, how could there also be good evidence that, well, we're maybe not looking at it correctly? Well, yeah. Uh, this this is definitely one of the weaker areas of science for me in terms of, you know, how much how much I've learned, how much I've read, and, and that sort of thing. Um, now, I was really into fossils when I was a kid. Okay. And so I, re- I really appreciated that sort of thing. And I did read both sides of the argument. Okay. Um, was you know saying there's two me- so there's two primary mechanisms for how we have the fossil record the way it is the sediment layers the way they are and you know when you look at the layers in the Grand Canyon or at any of the national parks um, where they explain you know well the base of this mountain is from this period and it's this old and so on and so forth 
the two primary mechanisms for why you get what you get with looking at those layers would be either, yes, millions of years old, where layer after layer slowly forms and compresses down, or it had to happen in a flash. And I use that word somewhat intentionally. Okay. Almost like, I don't know, something really, really heavy and perhaps fluid and erosive and very forceful okay. in a very short period of time. Okay. Uh, to Like 150 for, days-ish time? I mean, you know, th- th- <laughs> now that you say it, that sounds about right. Okay. Um, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, something to preserve... Uh, things that got buried very, very quickly, start the calcification process or whatever it's called, uh, fossilization. There we okay. go. Um, so those are the two primary mechanisms. Um, okay. And so one, they're, they're mutually exclusive, of okay. course. Uh, we cannot have instantaneous catastrophe forming these layers and these fossils and these records and whatever else. And also, they formed very slowly, took their time, and, you know, this was a multi-million or billion-year process. So, um, one of those accounts is mentioned explicitly, I would argue, in the scriptures. One of those accounts is an estimate using approximation methods. Okay. Being an economist, I am all too familiar with approximation methods because we have to do almost all of what we do by observing. Okay. Which means you take the observational data, you perform statistical magic to it, and you get an estimate of what you think is supposed to be the result. But because it's an estimate, there's a degree of uncertainty. And oftentimes, the degree of uncertainty is very, 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 very large. So it could be that whatever methods they're using to date this fossil or this layer of the canyon or this sediment layer, whatever it is, they're dating it to be 10 million years old, give or take 9.9 million years. Wow, I mean, okay. There, there's, a, there's a pretty large margin of error there because, uh, frankly, uh, that's, again, an observational science we can't replicate the last 150 million years in an experiment. We can't simulate lab conditions perfectly and verify it against the real world. We can create lab conditions that, you know, speed up time, because uh, that lab's probably not going to be around another 150 million years, if I was guessing. Probably. Um, and so if you can't replicate it via experiment, you have to work either uh, with approximations or with theory. Those, like, that's it. Okay. Experiments ruled out. Okay. If you're going to use theory, that's fine, but then you have to believe the theory, which means you have to accept the assumptions made by the theory. If you want to go the other route, empirically, you have to collect data and make approximations or estimates from the data. And again, if they're estimates, they're not exact. And if they're not exact, they have a degree of uncertainty. And oftentimes, those estimates have a very large degree of uncertainty. So that's why Google says not the Earth is, but some, like, there's a little bit of wiggle room even in the Google answer. Yeah. That would be like, hey, there are. So I don't think that's the case. When I go to national parks and I hear geologists speak, that's not how they, they are speaking as this is, this is pretty much fact. 
would that be? I mean, how most people, I think, interpret that. Hey, was, the earth is this. That's pretty much, this is pretty much a fact on how that is. Well, uh, for people who are coming to see the park and not listen to a five-minute discourse about statistical methods, uh, I'll bet you a nickel and a Coke someone just tuned out uh, during my last five-minute rant about uncertainty and error bounds and all that sort of thing. It's like, oh, great, The Economist is talking now. So uh, it sounds a lot better to just say, you know, give them the high points. This is a family that drove 12 hours to get here. They want to see the rocks. They don't want to listen to you. So, you know, get get your spiel in. And if they ask, you know, well, all right. Maybe it is 50 million years old, the, the thing I'm looking at over there, that, that rock column. What's the margin of error on that? Okay, then you can go into the technical details. But uh, that's not very good marketing to a society that has a short attention span. Okay, I got you. So maybe that's a good question that I could ask next time. Hey, is there any margin of error in yeah. this, yeah, that'd be a good. I like. That. I would. Lo- I would love to know what their answer is. Yeah, that would be that would be fascinating. So what I hear you saying is, when we think about, you know, a case for old Earth being, hey, it really matches better of what science shows or quote unquote proves. You're saying there's a lot of margin in even what what scientists who are trying to do science because it's not replicatable we can't observe it in its natural um means that it happened there's a lot of would you say guesswork in how we're doing that in geology yes definitely in astrophysics less so okay yeah so so i want to get to let's pin astrophysics for a second because you want to get to um, the idea of like how far a planet is, there's light years, it, the world, the universe seems to be expanding. I want to get to some of that in a minute. But Absolutely. you also mentioned there's another way that you could get the Grand Canyon. There's another way. You, you alluded to it, but I would like yeah. for you to g- give us that case for it's not something happened a long time, but there was a flash of an event that happened that could also give us a similar out- outcome. Well, uh, something uh, catastrophic and something uh, very powerful, a very powerful force to be reckoned with. Um, Now, I I will say a lot of canyons and uh, gulches and that that sort of thing, those are a result of uh, glacier erosion, but those didn't necessarily take a whole long time, you know, maybe a few years. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite parks is Turkey Run uh, State Park in Indiana, and it's really cool. You can see where the glaciers during the last ice age made it down into central Indiana, like that far south, and they cut these canyons and, uh, you know, moved these massive rocks the size of our church building, Um it's wow. it's so cool to see. Wow. But, you know, the argument is that a that ice age lasted a million years or whatever. Well, no, not quite. And yet it was still able to do that. Some and now that is not the Grand Canyon. Turkey yeah. Run, let me just say the canyon at Turkey Run State Park in Indiana is not the Grand Canyon. It's pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> so if you're taking your family, don't hype it up too much. <laughs> don't hype it. It's beautiful, yeah, for sure, but you know, uh, don't don't over sell it for size yeah if nothing else but yeah something uh massive something catastrophic you know if just a glacier not to downplay glaciers they're pretty cool uh did something like that or you know glacier park 
I've got, I've got my Glacier National Park hat on. <laughs> yeah, I just realized you had that on. Yeah. I was pointing at you as I made my point, but then lo and behold, there's your hat. Yeah. Glacier Park. I can't um, yeah, th- those are a force to be reckoned with. But what if there was a force to be reckoned with that covered the earth? Mm. Um, that seems pretty extreme because mountains are mighty big. Mm-hmm. The earth is mighty big. And, um, well, relative to us, at least. Yeah. And so I think that's a case to be made for the biblical flood okay. of laying down these layers and burying animals, plants, people yeah. um, in a flash, mm. uh, really, really fast, covering them with mud, with rock, whatever, to stop the decay process in an instant because there's no elements, there's no oxygen causing the decay of whatever got buried. Like, it is stuck. It's stuck there. It's okay. going to be there. And so um, I think that's perfectly plausible. Okay. Because, um, yeah, like I said, the two main mechanisms is something catastrophic and forceful or the millions of years each layer takes its sweet time and, and develops. Um, the flood is mentioned in the Bible, and it is from what, again, precious little I understand about that area of study. Um it, it's it's plausible to say, looking at the fossil record, that that is not inconsistent. No part of the fossil record, there we go, or the sediment layers or canyons or what have you, whatever you look at, none of that is sufficient to reject the theory that there was a worldwide flood. That's good. Yeah. So in, I think, I don't want to speak to like all people that hold to old earth because I don't know what everyone believes in that camp. But I think it would be, from what I've heard, that some in Old Earth would say, well, the flood was actually localized. It wasn't globalized. Like when Noah talks about, you know, the world being flooded, it was his world, the world that he knew. It was, it was locally. It wasn't globally. Um, and so what you would argue is, no, there's actually a global flood covering the whole Earth, and that would be an explanation for the fossil records that we have and, you know, um, the Grand Tetons and the Grand Canyon. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And not to mention, um, it's not special here in the, in the Western Hemisphere. There's fossils and there's mountains and there's canyons and there's layers and whatever else all across the globe. And so if it only happened in Mesopotamia, the flood, um, well, first of all, if it only happened there, how would it have covered up, you know, mountains? And it said, you know, there, there was nothing that was not covered mm-hmm. by the face of the, uh, the, or not the face of the waters, but the flood waters, uh, because God intended to do what he said he was going to do, and that was to destroy life and, you know, start afresh mm-hmm. after the water went away. Yeah, that's good. So now let's think about... Um, uh, the stars, the planets. Uh, so I know there's a case to be made when we look through telescopes, Hey man, there's a planet and it is, I'll say, you know, 10 million light years away. So the thought would be, well, if I look through the telescope and I can see it and it is 10 million year, 10 million light years away, then it had to take 10 million years for that planet to get there for light to come back here. 
So we can just sort of age the Earth based on how far we can see into space. We can measure light years, and we can know the Earth has to be at least this old. So I'd love for you to just speak to that, um, why that is not maybe the case. Absolutely. Now, th- this one, um, I know a little bit more. I know enough to be dangerous. I'll put it that way. Um, That's me with biblical language. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and that is, uh, I, I knew a little bit about how they measured uh, large distances. Um, and that is, uh, you know, using uh, light reflection. You know, the light waves from that heavenly body 20 billion light years away or, or whatever. You know, the... Uh, something got interrupted and then light waves make it back here. Wow. So if Earth stood perfectly still and that thing that we detected stood perfectly still and we got in a spaceship and we traveled at the speed of light, it would take us 20 billion years to get there. Okay. Okay. Well, the old Earth argument or the secular argument or whatever says, you know, we, we've, uh, that thing had to be there for at least 20 billion years first, right? doesn't necessarily mean the Earth was here for 20 billion years, if that thing was created before Earth, possibly. But my counterargument to that would be um, the universe is expanding. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's expanding. And I looked up, um, not to rest my case on Google, I actually looked at a few different <laughs> sites, <laughs> On this, I started with Google and then, you know, went, went from there um, to NASA and so forth. How fast is the universe expanding? And because that, that struck me as, well, now hold on a second. If it takes us traveling at the speed of light 20 billion years to get there, what if we're not sitting perfectly still? What if it is moving in the opposite direction from Earth because the universe is expanding? I said, okay, well, how fast is it expanding? And uh, I got a variety of answers, but a large number of them said it's expanding at a speed greater than the speed of light. So if that thing is racing away from us Mm. faster than the speed of light, and it takes light, supposedly, 20 billion years to get to us, it is entirely plausible that just a few thousand years ago, that thing wasn't 20 billion light years away. It was one Mm. light year away. Mm but it is racing in the opposite direction away from us. And we're racing in the opposite direction away from it. Mm. Um, Now I did have mental notes prepared. I'm not going to bore anybody uh, of what shape the universe is and what this expansion looks like. Okay. Uh, But uh, that's, that's the gist of the, my argument. Now it's finite. It's very naive in a sense and so if there's any astrophysicists listening to this and pulling their hair out listening to me describe the universe in these terms i am so sorry (laughs) but that is how i understand it is okay if the universe is expanding that thing over there is going that way this thing called earth over here is going the opposite way and this thing is getting scattered you know, that's almost biblical language as, you know, God scattered or stretched out the heavens like a sheet. Uh, I think that's in Isaiah, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, strangely enough, that was in part how Einstein described it. But anyway, yeah. um, is it stretched out like the, the cosmic bedsheet or the celestial bedsheet. Um, anyway, so if that thing is stretching out at a speed faster than the speed of light, 
yeah, it probably is going to take light a while to get to us, but also at the same time, it used to be a whole lot closer because it has not it had not traveled quite as far. So 20 billion years now to get there traveling at the speed of light may have just been one year traveling at the speed of light a few thousand years ago because mm. this thing is running away faster than light can go. Yeah, it's like I'm at recess trying to catch a kid who's also running. Exactly, <laughs> it's a, exactly. It's Especially if they've target. got a head start, I know. Yeah, it's a moving target. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So my other... So for me, when I hear or try to read arguments of, well, this planet is 20 billion years light years away, we can see that. That's just a really hard thing for my brain to comprehend. And for somebody to tell me, well, I've seen it through a telescope, I know this. Is, is there any way that we could also be looking through our telescopes and seeing and believing we're seeing this is 100% 20,000 years to 20 million years light years away, but actually it could be a lot closer. Is there any, as you mentioned with um, the layers of rock and there's, there's all these degree like variables, like uncertainty, uncertainty. Is there any margin of error in how we look through our telescopes? I wish I had a consistent answer on that because I reworded my Google search about five times of, okay, if we're measuring great distances across the cosmos, I mean, what's the margin of error there? I could not get a consistent answer from anybody as far as margin of error on that. Now, I will say physics is an experimental science, and that stuff can be replicated to a degree. Okay. Um, but... Uh, which you know, if with a perfect experiment, the margin of error would be zero. Uh, there wouldn't there wouldn't be any. I don't know if this falls into that category. And no matter how I worded my question for, all right, if something is twenty billion light years away, is that give or take a billion? Is that give or take nineteen point nine nine billion? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is there any margin of error there? I don't have a very good answer for that. Okay, unfortunately, yeah. But given that physics is more of a fixed and uh, experimentally driven and scientific method backed field of study, I would ascribe a smaller margin of error to those estimates, uh, like 20 billion light years away. In which case, you know, I have to have an answer for that, you yeah. know, for the, for the young Earth argument. And um, the best one I have right now is the the kid at recess running away the moving target yeah (laughs) and i think too maybe not um does the argument presuppose okay the they actually they started close together and so in the creation of the the heavens and earth well that planet that we see is 20 billion light years away it could have actually started pretty close to there like when god stretched out the heavens that could have been a a very fast event where everything is stretched out and now we're looking, well, that's this far away. Therefore it has to be that old. Well, no, it was already, it started pretty far ahead. Like the, the kid at recess got a really far head start. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Before it started taking off in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Yeah. I like that. That, um, yeah, I love it. So what are, um, I know we're getting, you know, we've chased a lot of rabbits around, which is what I love to do on podcast. Um, so any other just things that you would like to maybe like a lightning round of like, hey, I'm young earth. 
Um, this is what I think we've done, like the we've walked through the text. We've talked about, you know, um, the fossil record, geology, astrophysics. We've talked about some things and there's a another side of that. Um, is there anything else you would like to share with our listener of like, hey, here's some other things? Because I think what I've been what I've enjoyed hearing people comment about the podcast from last week is, wow, man, older. That was fascinating. And it wasn't that like, you know, oh, I'm angry or it can't be this way or it has to be this way. It was more like, man, I love thinking both of these, like because God could have done it. Either one of these ways. Like he could have done it in, in, in ages, and we see glory in that. He could have done it in, like, one moment, and there's glory in that. Yeah. So I think just one of the ideas of the podcast is, like, hey, e- either place you land on this, man, God's glory is being magnified, and he is the creator of all creation. Absolutely. And so I, is there any other things that you would like to share from a young earth perspective on, hey, here's some reasons why I believe it's young earth versus old earth, or if we covered everything that you wanted to uh, touch on today? Well, um, there, well, yeah, I, I do have a lot, but I don't really want to have it all out there. Okay. Uh, I think, I think we've actually covered a lot of the um, really high points, um, including some stuff that I didn't have in my notes, hence the, the flipping through the pages a moment ago <laughs> or a while ago. <laughs> Uh, but what, one of the one of the central points, and uh, I'll say this is, this is a good place to end my case for the for the young Earth argument or view, I guess, is um, I kept coming back to what 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 did Jesus say? What 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 were Jesus's teachings? You know, what would he have said about that? And uh, yeah, there's there's a number of passages. There's there's Mark ten. There's Luke eleven, um, where uh, Jesus says, you know, God created them male and female from the beginning. And so he puts the creation of Adam and Eve at the beginning, not a very long time after the beginning. Okay. Um, he, he refers to them in the language of, yeah, they were there too. Okay. They, they were there at the start. Uh, that's Mark 10. And then Luke 11, um, he also places Cain and Abel at the beginning. Uh, talking about you know the blood of Abel and the prophets, uh, or blood of the prophets and Abel from the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel, and so if Abel what and Cain and Abel were there right close to the beginning as well, that's a very curious uh, phrasing uh, that that Jesus talked about there. Um, but, you know, Jesus did not say, all right, everyone sit down, listen, here's the deal. Yeah. I was there. I saw it. It was made by me, through me, for me, to, you know. But yeah. Paul's, uh, whatever that word is, benediction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in Romans. Uh, you know, he didn't say that. He didn't need to. Mm. Um, but he was there. And that was the language he used in referring to the beginning uh, was putting the people, you know, humanity. Like you said at the very beginning, there's there's not much question about the age of man necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's about the age of the earth. Well, Jesus's phrasing, as I read it, uh, strongly implies that the beginning of man was right there at the beginning of the earth. Uh, depending on how you read into that, obviously, I reserve the right to be wrong, yeah. to be completely wrong. <laughs> I'm used to it, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that was one thing was, you know, re- 
read what Jesus says. Um, his, his words are precious, and uh, we need them every day. Absolutely. Um, so that, that was point number one. And then point number two, um, increasingly, my favorite verse is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Ooh, I love that. The um, secret things belong to the Lord. The secret things belong to the Lord. But anything he's revealed, that's ours. It belong to us. It belongs to us and our kids forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, he has revealed a whole lot and I don't think we're going to exhaustively learn everything that he has revealed so that we run out of stuff to study. Yeah. We've got plenty else, more important things, to keep us occupied in the meantime. And if we master all of that before we die, <laughs> then we can, you know, continue uh, uh, chasing the res- these rabbits. But it's fun to do. Yeah. It, it's, it's fun to do nonetheless. But... The older I get, the more I learn. And the more I learn, the more I have learned how much I have yet to learn. Absolutely. More stuff gets uncovered, and I'm like, oh, I thought I was making progress. And now it's just opening up a new door of stuff that I don't know. It's yeah. stuff I didn't know I didn't know. Yeah. And um, and then back back to the, the words of Jesus. You know, he was there at the beginning, and Jesus— was revealed to us, mm. right? That's not a secret thing anymore, right? The Messiah had not yet come when Moses penned Genesis 1 and 2 yeah, um, and, and all that he wrote. So that was still a secret thing. It was the mystery of Christ, um, as, as Paul refers to it um, in the New Testament. But he has been revealed to us now, and we have his words written for us. We have the Bible, and... Um, I love, uh, depending on how what you read into uh, Genesis 1 especially, but also Genesis 2, um, depending on how you read into it, I love seeing the gospel parallels. And I would say that is the biggest benefit. I've had a blast being on the podcast, by the way. Yeah, it's um, been so fun. But uh, another benefit, and I would say possibly even a bigger one, is... I was compelled to reread Genesis 1 and 2 and to spend more time in Scripture. And I hope that's what our listeners do after Absolutely. listening to this, is that yeah. they feel a renewed zeal to go read their Bibles with this and to love their Bibles. And um, the, the the gospel parallels in the creation narrative, like I was saying, um, it's beautiful to see. This is not the last time... God is going to look on something of his with joy and say, it is very good. Or you could retranslate that, I am well pleased. Mm. Amen. So um, it's it's great. Yeah, that's it's, good. It's great reading through I this. I think what's Whatever cool, yeah, I've never even, um, I, I haven't thought of it. This is one reason I love doing podcasts when you're just thinking and talking. One thought that just hit me is, you know, we we hear about the first creation, obviously, in Genesis 1 and 2, and we can speculate um, the, the when and the how, um, but it just dawned on me as God's uh, new creations, we're going to get to see him do new creation. That's right. Like, that's going to be... We'll see it this time. We're going to see it and uh, and watch him... Man, yeah, melt the old and make the new, and that's going to be spectacular. And so, um, 
just kind of hit me that, hey, we're, we're, we're speculating on what happened back then, but we're going to get to see him make the new one, and that's going to be pretty pretty amazing. I'm excited. Yes, yeah. Well, Jeffrey, this has been uh, so much fun. I hope as the listener, you've by now seen what the point of these two podcasts are. They're not to try to make two arguments and then uh, convince you of one or the other. It's to try to say, hey, when we look at things like creation, there are things we must agree on as believers. Um, For instance, the who of creation, like we are all in agreement, God created the cosmos. He um, made everything out of nothing. We're in agreement that he made human beings uniquely in his image. Um, We know why he made the world, ultimately for his glory and for our good. Um, We are all agreeing on those things. Um, But there are a few things of the, man, the how exactly he did this and exactly when, how long did it take. There is room for interpretation. There's room for disagreement. And what we hope you'll do in these two podcasts, and then also in the next one, when we hear from church history, that uh, you'll just marvel at God, our creator. Um, and I think where I've landed on both of these, like young earth, old earth, I'm like middle earth. <laughs> I think that's where my official position is. Um, and uh, I might dive into that a little bit more um, at some point into the future. But uh, yeah, it's been fascinating just to look at, hey, both have very good points. Both have very strong arguments uh, for this and for that. And I really think both are very respectable positions in the Christian community. So whether you believe, hey, God did it in 6,000 years or 4.5 billion years, God did it. He did it for his glory. We are his uh, crown jewel of creation. We're made in his image. Through Christ, we're remade in his image. And one day that image is going to be resurrected and we're going to live with him in a new creation forever. And so I hope as a listener in both of these episodes, you have marveled over God who is creator. And what we can do is look at his word, his special revelation. We can look at his world, his general revelation, and we can just marvel at God who made all of this. And so that's pretty amazing. So Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on and uh, giving a case for young earth. Uh, Hopefully, as a listener, you found this fascinating, and uh, our prayer, I know Jeffrey said it many times, that this conversation helps you love your Bible, because, man, when you love your Bible, you'll love God, serve people, and live a life.